This is our third week. I promised you that at least three weeks a year that we would look at finances. We should probably do more, but we, we, we will aim to do at least three weeks every year to recap on where your finances are at and how that's proceeding, and us also collectively. This is the third of three, so next week we'll be with the trends in the other building. We'll move on to a new series. If I can recap briefly on the three weeks, and folks, no matter how many times you've done this, I counsel you, I warn you, open your ears and open your spirit. Amen? Because you never know it all. You never know it all. And just because you've given or you've done this or done that, once you start to think you know it all, you're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. And in terms of giving, I mean, personally, I don't think I've scratched the surface of what God would do through me, right? Will do through me as I remain open. On the first week, remember what we looked at, the four levels of giving. What are they? Tithe, free will offering, that of my own free will, as well as tithing, I give the Lord 10% of my income, the first 10%. Then after that, of my own free will, I should be giving something somewhere to someone. And that's because God's interested in changing my personality, making me a generous person. What's the next level? Sacrificial that God also intends to change my character to deeper work, and so there should be consistent sacrifice going on in my life. And I shared the example just last week. I had made a very good biggest faith pledge we ever made last time. And our offerings are great. But see, God challenged me to buy an iPad for, for Johan. I had no money. What was God's point? sacrifice, sacrifice. And the truth is, we can grow lopsidedly. You can grow with lots of faith, and that's not what God wants alone. Uh, And it's not just obedience either, but He wants us to keep all these things in place in our lives, and thus He can trust us and use us and build a financial base. So that was the first week. Last week, we looked at the mechanics of faith, how faith actually works. It involves an action, remember? When Jesus spoke to the blind man, he didn't say, I heal you. He spoke in action. He said, get up, take up your mat and walk. The blind man had to do something. The word comes first, but the man had to carry out that action. And so it is with you that when you begin to hear, and you need to fight for your hearing, folks, when you begin to hear and then obey the action, what follows? The miracle. The miracle is what follows. So I encourage you, do anything. Do be ruthless in seeking the voice of God. And whether you like it or not, some of you might not like me saying this, folks. <laughs> See this? This is actually... It's a fiver, by the way. <laughs> this is actually one of the quickest and easiest routes for me to grow. This is actually one of the fastest easiest routes for me to grow as a Christian and develop. Because God says, where my treasure is, there my heart will follow. Jesus says, when I can trust you with finances, when I can trust you with finances, then I will start to pour spiritual growth. And for many of us, I believe what we actually do is we seek this spiritual growth 
and we go about it the hard way. I hope you're hearing me this morning, folks. I will repeat it. This is the easy way. This is the easy way to grow spiritually. So don't have God to take you on a 40-year journey when in 11 days' time you could actually be walking in faith. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to hear. You're going to have to take a step, an action. It is the easy way, but we don't see it that way. Right? So often people fight against finance. This is the last week, and I want to look at a very important issue, and that is our motives in our giving, the motive behind our giving, something that is of more importance to God maybe than it is to you. Look at Genesis chapter 4 a moment. Genesis chapter 4 and verses 3 to 7. Genesis 4, 3 to 7. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4, 3 to 7. In the course of time or in the fullness of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. See, they were the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. I mean, I'm glad it's in the Bible again, folks. Look at me a moment. Some of you can put your offering in this morning. Does God look on it with favor? Well, this Scripture tells me that some of us can bring our offering and God does not look on it with favor because we become careless or we think, I'll give whatever way I choose. There is no structure. And there's actually a lot in this Scripture here. Two men, both working hard, both bringing in their offerings. One is received and one is rejected. Why was the one rejected? Motive. It was all about motives. Because both of these men knew that there was a prescription. There was an order in God. Both of them knew that they should bring a blood sacrifice. And one of them did. Abel did. But Cain thought, ah, well, what does it matter? It doesn't matter about God's structure. It doesn't matter about the four levels of giving. And actually, if you look at what Abel did, Abel was obedient, so he obeyed the tithe. Abel made a sacrifice. He brought in an offering, and Abel acted in faith because he gave the first, it says, the firstborn. And Cain broke all the rules of bringing an offering. But listen, folks, he's still in church. He's still there, if you like. And so he still brings his offering religiously. But he's actually broken the rules. And we're right in the beginning of the Bible. And God says to you, He's trying to show you something. You see, folks, it's not Asda. Bringing our offerings in and the way we deal with our finances before God, it's not like going into the petrol station and paying the clerk. Amen. This thing needs to be sanctified. And Cain had a, you know, we lived in Liverpool for a while, and in Liverpool they say, whatever, you know. It's, it's, it's actually not good. It's slang. Whatever. And Cain had a sort of a whatever attitude towards God. Well, that's, I mean, it's major, silly. You know the end of the story. It didn't end well. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'll show you this same principle with Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It talks about running the race or bringing in our offerings according to the rules. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And on he goes. It, 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 I mean, it, it sounds simple, but it's not that simple because these things are spiritually perceived, folks. Have you ever seen a horse race on telly? And one of the, one of the, one of the horses throws off the jockey. And because he's lighter now, he takes off. And he's over the line first because he's lighter. He's disobeyed the rules. Does the horse get a prize? No. And that's what it's like with God. We can try to shake God off, but we feel like we're still in the race. We're still in church. And I tell you folks, some of you, listen to me, look at me. Some of you have been giving for years, and you still don't know what the problem is. Some of you are like Cain, and I thank God that some of you are like Abel. We all need to be like Abel. And we all need to understand it's not Asda, it's not like any other bill, it's coming to a holy God, and He gives me a prescription, He gives me a, 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 an order to my giving, and the only way, the only way is for me to obey Him and to follow that order. Amen? Amen, folks. There's only one way to do this, and my advice to you is accept that Accept the design of God and follow it, and don't be like Cain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll, I'll read from verse 12, actually. Paul talks about the end of my life, the end of your life, and what will happen if you're born again. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones or wood, or hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but he will be saved even as one passing through the flames." The picture that Paul points for us here is your life. And if you can project yourself into the future, and the day comes when you die and you leave this earth and you go before God, if you like, a great a huge bonfire is constructed right before you. Let's say it's Gehiso, right? So it's Gehiso's turn. And the Apostle Peter, and they, they gather everything you've ever done all your good works, all your giving, all your evangelism, all your praying, and they put it all in a big pile, and we're all watching. Right? And then along comes the apostle Peter with a box of matches. And up that thing goes. And it's being tested. The works that we carry out, everything we do has to pass through the fire. And God is looking for what is left. What is left are the things that we did with a good, a good motive from a good heart. As I say, I think this is more important maybe to God than it is to us, much more important. I grew up in Belfast, and there was a, a hotel just 
a few doors down from us. And to me, when I was a child, that building was like this building or bigger. It was huge. And one night, there was a bomb in that building. And it blew out the walls, and the roof fell in. And I remember there was an enormous fire. But as a child going down over the next couple of days and looking for the, for the building, man, where is it? Where is it? And the walls had collapsed, and the whole thing, puff. The whole thing had come to nothing. And Paul says, folks, this is the real world. When I die, everything that I've done will be tested by fire. And his point is, get your motives right. Sanctify those motives in your giving. I've given you two columns there. In all of us, in every church, in every community, there are those who are driven and those who are called. Those who are driven and certain countries, certain communities are much more highly driven than others, but even within us, I know there's a lot of professionals here, we can come from families that have caused us to be driven and pushed us and pushed us to achieve and achieve, but that's not a good way to live. And I've given you a list just to explain the difference in the motivation between the two, because many people, I'm afraid, many Christians get bad habits from the way they're raised. Many Christians come into salvation with parents that pressurize them to achieve and achieve and achieve. And they come into Christianity with these things, and sometimes those things are never broken in them. And they end up being driven as Christians, just as they were driven as lost people. But I'll tell you something else, folks. Look up a minute. Listen to me. Some of you never got any recognition before you were saved. You tried hard, but maybe your parents, you come home with an A, and they say, A, I expected A+. plus." Right? And it was never good enough. Whatever you do is never good enough. And some of you never got encouraged or anything else. Guess what happens, some people? They get saved. And for the first time in their life, a pastor calls them forward, and everybody, let's say it's Johnny. Johnny, come down here. And Johnny has never, he's never been applauded in his life. And suddenly, Johnny finds himself standing in front of people. People know his name, and he gives his testimony. And then he goes to sit down, and what do they do? Go on, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Whoa. And then Johnny says, I'm going to be baptized. Oh, well done, Johnny. And then he invites all his friends. And all of a sudden, do you know what? For the first time in many believers' lives, when they get saved, it's the first time they get attention. So the baptism's over. And now they sit down. And then they like a bit more attention. So how am I going to go about that? And that's the wrong column. That's when we're being driven by something, by a motive that's corrupt, by a motive that's wrong. Are you with me? That is not a good thing. Driven people are gratified by accomplishment, 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 and it's always over the rainbow. This is not a Christian way of living. It's not right. 
And I would encourage you, you know, personally, I've been there, done that, not at enormous degrees. To a little degree, I was driven in certain parts of my life. I am not, I don't believe, driven now. I'm a bit older now. And I guess I understand the game a bit better now. But because I've been there, I recognize people who are driven very quickly. <sighs> we had one guy, and he was very good with the heroin addicts in our church. He did everything for them. He looked after them. He cared for them. And we had had an addictions pastor, someone who looked after those, that part of the community, that part of our church. And I watched this guy, and I thought, he's doing such a good job. One day, I called him over, and I said, listen, would you take on the role of being the pastor to those with drug addictions? He said, yes, no problem. So we called him forward, and we pray for him, and we train him. Guess what? He stopped doing everything. He stopped doing it. Why was that then? Because he was doing what he was doing to get a title. He wanted recognition. He wanted to be someone, wanted to accomplish something. And as soon as he got that title, he dropped that and he was off again to the next goal, the next accomplishment, because these things are really a rainbow. And you're chasing a rainbow and you will never reach the end of it. It's the driven mentality. Don't live your life being gratified by one accomplishment after the other. And do not seek the applause of men, folks. That really is being driven. Another thing under your list of driven there, gratified by accomplishment, but also people like this tend to have very little regard for any form of integrity. I'll tell you a story to make you laugh. I had, I had a guy come to our church, and I sort of knew him, and he came with an application form for Bible college. He was a Romanian, and I knew him well enough. And he had this big, thick application form, and he said, Pastor Mike, would you be my referee? When we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you just sign there, whatever? Well, I've done enough forms in my time to know that I want to read the form that I'm going to sign. Thank you. So he's saying, just sign there. I said, no, just, just give me the form. Just give me the form. Thank, just, just, just wait, just wait. Page one. Let's see what you've filled out before I sign your form. And right there was a restriction. You weren't allowed to apply for this course, I think it was, unless you had been in Dublin for like seven years. And this guy hadn't been there. And I said, um, <clears throat> Fazil, when did you come to Ireland? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, forget about that bit. I just put, I just put the... I, 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 hold on a minute. There's a reason why the church and the Bible college have put that restriction there. Yeah, but just, just, just fill it in. I said, Fazil, you're lying on your application to Bible college. Hello? <laughs> Do you get the joke? <laughs> you're lying on your application. What sort of an application? You expect me to sign this? Are you kidding? And he went. In fact, he, at that time, he had his own little group, and I believe that group collapsed, and he started another little group. Is he called or driven, folks? Absolutely driven, and it's blatantly obvious. Gratified by accomplishment, little regard for integrity, people like that have limited people skills because people are to be used, disposed of, what's the word, disposable, right? Often display a temper because they're not achieving their goals. You can see that very, very, very common. And the last one, out of a need to be someone. I, I couldn't stress enough, folks, you already are someone, amen? 
God has created you. When Christ rose from the dead, He scattered gifts among all of us. You already are someone in Christ. And the goal is not to try and be someone else or try and snatch somebody else's title or role or position or ministry or function. The role is simply to find out who you are, who God has made you to be, and to pursue that. Amen? These books, by the way, are at the back for sale today for five pounds each. This is a book we wrote about two or three years ago, and I think it's a very important concept for all of us to get in our minds and in our, our lives pattern. We'll give the proceeds to the uh, Samaritan's Purse later on this year to send Christmas presents across Bulgaria, Romania, etc. So please take one, but don't just take it, read it read it, and I believe it will give you a very balanced approach to how to handle the giftings that God has given you, your time, your treasure, and your talents. We've all got three. We've all got three, you know, partitions within us, if you like. Your time and what you do with that, your talents, the giftings that God has given you, and your treasure and how you handle that. The other section there, look, you can be driven or you can be called, and a called person will behave completely differently. John the Baptist is probably the best example of a cold person in the Bible. Remember, when Jesus appeared, what did John say? Look at me. I must decrease, and He must increase. And in terms of, I mean, you could look at this in so many ways. When a person is cold, the worship is a, is a very good test case, a good example of throwing the light onto Jesus, throwing the attention onto Jesus Christ and not taking attention for ourselves. Amen. Many years ago, I took part in a musical. I was Jesus. I can't sing, by the way. I was miming, okay? But it was a big concern. There was about 10,000 people attended that musical. And it took us 30 days of rehearsals. It was intense. I enjoyed it, but it was very hard work. We had a huge platform. There was about 60 people in the cast. So typically, they would be, we would have the miracle scenes of, you know, this scene and that scene. And I would be darting back and forward through different exits on the platform. And for 30 days, we were in this warehouse doing our rehearsals. And the director was a professional director from Africa called Mark Dackel. So I'm playing Jesus, and there's all the cast doing all their roles. But, Ian, could you come, please? Just help me a second. What would happen is this. I'm Jesus, and there's 10,000 people out here. Someone who was playing their role would come on to, the, to do their scene and stand in front of Jesus. And the director used to go furious. Don't upstage Jesus! That's what he would shout. So the guy would quickly move left. And then someone else, I tell you, you couldn't say it's someone else. It's their part. It's, it's, it's their time to do their bit. Straight in front of Jesus. Yeah, thank you. You know? And for days, that director was going, don't upstage Jesus. Simple. Just don't stand in front of Jesus. But when the spotlight came, you see, when the moment came, it was actually more difficult for people. It was harder for them than they had you know, anticipated it would be. And so it is, so it is with worship, so it is with your ministry, whatever, you, many of you are very busy in ministry, and thank God for that. 
But I tell you what, folks, if I may use worship as an example, I said to the leaders recently, I don't want you to appoint anybody else on the worship team until you talk to me first. Because the worship team needs to be invisible. That's the qualification. Not many others. A good example, Eileen. When Eileen stands up here, you, you may as well not be here, if you know what I mean. Totally not conscious of you at all. And she will break through. When someone has that disposition, they're not upstaging Jesus. But if you're so self-conscious up here, you actually draw attention to yourself. Do you understand? Self-conscious people instead of God-conscious people. You're maybe not ready to be up here or you need to break something within yourself that is actually focused on Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Worship teams need to be invisible. I need to be like John the Baptist who says, I will decrease and he will increase. And I ask you, because many of you are involved in ministries, do you need a title? Do you need your name to be known? Do you need your ministry to be seen? Do you need the applause of people? Are you seeking acclaim? Are you seeking the credit of men? Well, do you know what, friends? There's a bonfire up ahead. There's a day when a great big bonfire will come, and each of our work will be tested. And I want to prepare for that day. Amen? And I want the work that I do, the gifts that I give, everything I do to be prepared in such a way that I'm ready for that. Sit under the call people. They see themselves as a steward, and they know who they are and accept it. You know, when they said to John the Baptist one day, are you the Christ? What did John say? I am not he. I am not he. But he led them to Christ. He was preparing the way. He wasn't the way the truth and the life, right? He was preparing that as a prophet. So, be called in what you do. Find your calling. Called people see themselves as a steward. They know who they are and they accept that. They're secure in God and not in a title or in a role or in a ministry. So, I know that's all quite negative, but the correct way is very clear. Look at this. Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Look this up, if you will, because I'd like you to see this for yourself. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 35. Jesus makes it clear how we end up with a reward in heaven. Mark 8, 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the Gospel will save it. Amen. We all know that. In fact, you could all probably quote it to me. But do we hear it? Do we really hear it? Look at me a moment. Please, listen. I have taught on finances in many cultures, in many cities, and in many different people types. And every time I preach about finances, someone in the crowd will fold their arms and, sh and shut down and get very angry. And you know what that person is thinking? They're sitting there and they're saying, I love God so much that I never talk about money. I worship Jesus. I love Jesus. 
Look at him talking about money. He can't love God. I love God, so I never mention money. We see, that's not what the script, that's not what Jesus said. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, that's loving God. And the, ah, I missed the second bit. Whoever loses their life for me, that's the loving God and the gospel. That's the money bit. Because the gospel costs money. Amen. Gospel costs money. Planting churches costs money. We could already have a nice building, folks. We could have already done our renovation if we'd wanted to. Instead, I know we got denied, but we planted a church in Bulgaria that is thriving. Amen. Praise God. We supported the Pakistanis for two years. And my Lord, what was that meeting like? Jesus, I'm so glad we did what we did. I'm so glad we weren't selfish and spend our money on ourselves. Pastor Fred came in. We've been supporting him, lending him our building, let him grow his church. Not one single Pakistani church in this city except that one. Not one. Tens of thousands of Pakistanis. Not one church except the one that we've fostered. Praise the Lord. And more than that, Fred has begun teaching on TV, on radio. And in two weeks' time, Stefan is currently organizing it with him. He has 175 people from all over the UK who have booked into hotels in Glasgow to come for a day's conference where he's going to be teaching on deliverance. Praise the Lord. 75 people actually from outside of the church have also registered to attend, plus he has his own congregation, so the admissions are closed. He's already up to 300. Praise the Lord. That's a breakthrough. And I'm delighted that we've done that. We support Alex, as you know. We're paying for Pastor Alex. Costs us about 12 grand in total. But that's good. That's the correct way. All of these things cost money. Do you love Jesus, folks? Do you love the gospel? You need to pay for the gospel. That's the point. Jesus said, whoever loses their life for my sake and, and the gospel. And that's the financial bit. And it's a growth bit. See, folks, see this. Back to my fiver. This is my life. This is a slice of my life. And when I talk about giving God my life, my time, my talents, and my treasure, when you go to work and you work for half an hour, an hour, and they give you a fiver, right? I don't know what job you have, maybe you get more than that. <laughs> you, and you bring that in. What you're actually doing is you're giving God your, you're giving God your life. And He has made this possible for us. It's actually a concession. He's made this possible for us to do this. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So the first thing I would ask you folks, in terms of maturing your giving, I love God. I love God because of what He's done for me. I love Him because of what He's doing for me. But I also love the gospel. And that means I have to take an interest in money. And those of you who have never been interested in finances, I counsel you that you're on the wrong page, that you've started out in the wrong direction, and Jesus wants you to have a very serious interest in finances. Every person here. In fact, folks, don't walk out when I say this. <laughs> Let me finish. Every person here needs to learn how to buy and sell. 
Every person needs to learn how to buy something at one cost and get a profit from it. Now, that could be your time, and then you bring that profit into the kingdom because you love the gospel. And if you don't get that mindset, Jesus is not actually happy with you, no matter how hyper-spiritual you may want to look at it. I'll show it to you. Matthew chapter 25. Look at this. Jesus says exactly what I've just said. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. She's talking about the kingdom of God. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. Buy and sell. And he gave five bags more. So also the one with the two bags, and he gave gold, more gold. But the man who had received the one bag went off and he dug a hole, right? And he hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settles the accounts. The man who had received five bags brought the other five and he said, Master, I've made a profit and I'm bringing it into the kingdom for the gospel. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. To the man who had two bags of gold also came master. He said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done. This is God talking about business. Well done. You made a profit and you brought it into the kingdom. Well done. Good handling of your finance. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And here comes Cain. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, and you, 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 you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid the gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. And you know the rest of the story. God expects us to be good stewards, good businessmen, if you like, of our finances. And if I can parallel that scripture with the previous scripture, it's one thing to love God, folks, but I need to develop a profitable attitude to my finances. Whether that's your career path, whether it's a business, and I hope that some of you become entrepreneurial in terms of business, and you pursue that because you will find an anointing upon you for that. Now, look at me a moment, please, folks. Please listen. I, want, I, I appeal to you, especially if you're in a career, because most of you are. If you're a professional and you're qualified, then I pray that you hear these words in Jesus' name, and it converts your understanding, because I have probably been very misunderstood on this point. How can I explain it? A man came in Dublin, and I know him well. I was disgusted with him. Not a good father. Didn't lead his children well. Wasn't bringing them to prayer. Wasn't praying with his wife. But he thought he was great because of his career. He was doing really well. And one day, 
he was very unfaithful in the church, couldn't depend on him. One day he comes up, and it's very strange for him. He said, could I give a testimony? I said, yeah, go ahead. And he stood up, and he said, guess what, folks? I think he was employee of the month, <laughs> the equivalent of that. I've just been voted employee of the month. Yo, 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 yo. I didn't clap. I was disgusted at him, absolutely disgusted at him. You don't pray with your family. You're not leading your family as a husband or a father. And then you come to the church to get a, what sort of individual are you? That's just madness. Do you understand me? Are you with me? That's a man who's forgotten that he's part of the kingdom of God, isn't it? It's a person who's got lost in their career. And I repeat, please get the book. And please read it because it will get you balanced. Three weeks ago, we called the different professions forward on Sunday night. We had the doctors, medical doctors. We had Mervyn and some of the others. Listen, folks, all professionals, but some on the wrong road, some going off on their own direction. And our point about praying for the different groups, we prayed for Cahiso. And my point to you, Cahiso, was Cahiso's a vet, okay? Forgive me. There's nothing special about being a vet. There's loads of vets, okay? Nothing special about that at all. We have a chemist here. Sorry. <laughs> There's nothing special about being a chemist. Nothing at all. Don't ever, ever think there is. But I tell you what's special. A Christian vet. A Christian who's got a talent. Talents and how to handle them. A Christian who's got a talent, and they say, remember Mike Rogers. Remember what I told you about Mike Rogers. Listen to me. There's a truck driver called Mike in America. He's got a talent. He's got a truck. That's all he's got. Nothing special about being a truck driver. And he loves the Lord, but he thinks about the gospel. And he prays and he says, God, that's all I got. It's not much. One talent. One little truck. Would you put your anointing? What will I do? And God took his talent, and I think it was 10 years, right? 10, 11 years. He went from no money to 67 million. Wow. Don't just be a vet. Be a Christian vet. And say, God, here's my talent. Here's my career. Nothing wrong with a career. Provided you bring it into the kingdom. These words are spiritual that I'm speaking to you. They're not academic, and some of you will not hear them, and some of you will. You need to sanctify your career. Stop looking for the applause of people. And maybe you were raised by parents who drove you. I want an A next time. And then you come into the kingdom, and you've still got those attitudes. You need to lose them. You need to sanctify your whole self. My time, my talents, my gifts, and my treasure. Gary Heaven, same story. You know the curved story. Exactly the same story. He's a man with a gift. He had an ability. And many of you have abilities, gifts that God has given you. But Gary Heaven is not just a businessman. He's a Christian businessman. He's a guy who had a fitness center. He did the same thing as Mike Rogers. Lord, here's what I am. Here's the talent you gave me. I'm not going to bury it. I'm going to sanctify it. 
Today I commit it to you. And do you know what happens? Do you know what happens, Gehizo, when you return to Botswana? When you pray that prayer, an anointing comes on you. When you're sincere, that's what's happened, these men. And many of you here, we have doctors, nurses, there's all sorts of professions here. When you present yourself loving the Lord, but seeking for the gospel, then that truck turns into a money-making power machine because it's been sanctified. Are you with me? And no matter where you're going tomorrow, you can be working in a coffee shop, but I'm telling you, go to that coffee shop and change your mind and say, God, today I'm going to go to my job, but today I'm going to go with a difference. I want to make an impact in the gospel. And so I want to sanctify my whole attitude, my mind. Many different people here in many different paths in life. So there's no exceptions, remember. This applies to you, like the widow of Zarephath. No exceptions in this room. It's just whether or not you're willing to commit yourself afresh, again, to be used in the gospel as well as loving God.